Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're in Luke's Gospel in a series this term. Um, we've kind of loosely entitled it God's Vision Statement, 2020 Vision. Every church is doing, or every organisation is doing a vision statement year because it's 2020. It's the opportunity to do so. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Well, we thought that it's actually not about our plans. It's not about our vision. Um, it's about God's vision. And what is God's vision for the world? Um, I could give you an answer very quickly. It's Luke Acts. Um, the writer of Luke's gospel, Luke, is a doctor, he's a medical doctor by profession. He wrote this two-volume work, Luke and Acts, and he writes it to show us God's vision of the world. So we're going to be in Luke's gospel this term, right up to Easter. Our discipleship groups are following it, so we're doing this staggered uh, study as we go through Luke's gospel together. And then second term will be in the book of Acts. And we're going to see how God's gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and is unstoppable even when things seem to stop it or perhaps try and put it to an end. In fact, I'll put it to you, if you're a despot out there listening to this sermon for some strange reason, you're bored and you've got nothing else to do on YouTube right now and you happen to run a country and oppress a people, here's my tip. Read the Bible. Anyone who tries to stop the gospel ends up doing the opposite. That's my hot tip. But we're in Luke's Gospel right today and uh, today he's going to be, God is going to be speaking to our hearts and um, as he does so, if you're using the church Bibles, it's on page 871, you'll see on the screen there, of course, it's got that for you. Luke 12, verse 13. Before we read that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our hearts are often restless. We feel the inner stress of our lack of our own security. Perhaps that's brought on by a lack of money or even a lot of money. And so we're praying, we're asking you, as we come to talk about perhaps the most sensitive topic in a church, for all sorts of reasons, calm our anxious fears, we pray. Help us to listen to Jesus, that he would speak to our hearts and change everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our lives are pulled in all sorts of directions, aren't they? Uh, our hearts are pulled into all sorts of worries and troubles and anxieties for all sorts of reasons. But one of those reasons often, particularly for us in this part of the world, is money. It's money. Money can make us anxious. Like if you see Jesus' words in a, in a moment, uh, money can make us anxious. And although we don't talk a lot about it in our church, Jesus talks a lot about money more than many other subjects in the Gospels. Why? Is it because Jesus is into money? Now, if you look at Jesus' life, he really doesn't handle a lot of cash. He's got his own board of management like we do here. The elders don't handle the money. The board of management does. He's got that crew for him. Why does Jesus talk about money so much? Because Jesus is focused on our hearts and money is a heart issue. It's very much grabbed by the talons, the claws of our hearts and it just won't be let go. If I can just be frank for a moment, I'm always frank, but I mean as in not the person but honest. That was confusing. I'll pray for more clarity, Colossians 4, 4 style. I have lots of one-to-ones with men, conversations with men in this church, not in this church, 
And lots of men, we talk about lots of problems men have. And you know, men are very happy to talk about even the most intimate things, the, the, the temptations for lust, the temptations to anger. But as soon as a topic of money comes up, that's hands off that one. Like, of all the topics, why? I think it's the closest to our hearts. That's why Jesus talks about it the most. Our society finds security in the things that we have, don't we? Our society are like bowerbirds. I mean, we're cute and we collect stuff, but for what purpose? And the money we have, I guess, we, we collect it because it makes us feel safe. Okay, right. But the gospel of Jesus changes everything because it shows us Actually, the money you have can even be taken away. Do you believe this? In the 1980s, we had that great crash. People ended their own lives, sadly, because they didn't believe it. Like, do we as a church believe that even our money can go completely? It doesn't last forever. Here's my prayer for this moment. I know we pray, but I've been praying this all this week. We have one moment here to listen to Jesus. One moment. You've got your Bible, so take it away and read later. But one moment to listen to him and just let him speak to your heart. You know, I actually didn't want this text to be on our agenda today in a sense because it's the start of the year. I think if you're new to church, <gasps> church talking about money. It's got a context in our culture, right? Churches are all about money. I didn't want to do that and bring that up. But here it is in Luke's gospel. But of course, it's more than money. Let's read. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do a small thing such as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, But if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for your treasuries will your heart be also. What do you want in life? I think the events that we've experienced in recent times expose this basic question for us all. What do you want in life? A drought in rural Australia will do it for rural Australia. A drought in rural Australia will expose what is it we want in life? Do we want to do this? Is this how we want to do it? Uh, Perhaps mega bushfires for the rest of Australia that had something to burn. Exposes what do we want in life? And now we have a worldwide virus. A worldwide virus that they're saying if it becomes pandemic and Australia so declares it, we might not even be able to gather like this for a while. We might not be allowed to. What do all these things expose? This, we want security. We want to feel secure. We want to feel safe. We want there to not be dangers of droughts and fires and viruses. We want to feel like I can know I'm going to get through my week or my month or my year and I'm going to be safe. There's a man in the crowd that wants the same thing in this scene, isn't there? You can imagine the scenario. His father has died or perhaps is is working out the will and there's two brothers. You see this all the time in farming communities. It gets awful. There's two brothers. One sounds like he's getting more than the other or he won't divide it. And so the man just calls out, kind of in this panic-stricken state of feeling insecure, Hey, teacher, I've seen you do lots. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's in a crisis situation. But you see, it's not just a crisis situation that makes us question our security, is it? You can actually be in a situation of opportunity. This man in the crowd is in a situation, perhaps not of crisis, maybe he's in a situation of opportunity, he sees. Opportunity to be more secure, more safe by having more money. And he wants Jesus to be his solicitor. But Jesus has a bigger issue at hand than this, it's his heart. And so he speaks directly to his heart by speaking to them. Verse 15. He says to them, he says to you and I, if you're listening, he says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see that? What's Jesus' point? Having everything can mean you have nothing. If you think having everything is your life, you'll actually end up having nothing. It's often the case, isn't it? We don't feel like we're greedy until we're offered more. We don't feel like we have enough until we see how much we have. It seems that this is this man's problem, which is why Jesus says, take care. Why doesn't Jesus use the same language about so many other issues? Because money and greed is an issue that creeps up on our hearts. It kind of comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden we don't realise that perhaps we've been hoarding, perhaps we've been trying to find our security in our money trying to find our security in our stuff. 
It creeps up and Jesus says, you've got to take care because this stuff comes in from behind and grabs you. All of a sudden it's got its hand over your mouth, hand over your eyes. You can't see it. You can't talk about it. It's money. It's greed. So Jesus, knowing he wants them to take care, tells them a story, a parable. It's a story with a meaning. He says about this rich man, it's a rich farmer, which I know that perhaps we could laugh and say, is there any such thing? But there are such things. There are such things as rich farmers and rich men. And notice about this rich man, it's not that his wits or his ability produces lots of wealth. It's just his land. It's, it's almost like he's not the subject of it at all. It's just his land produces wealth. His land produces wealth. It's not even his land. Like God gave him the land. God gave him the job. God gave him his brain. God gave him the breath that he took, the breath that he exhaled. God gives him everything. It's all God's. But he just looks at it and says, this is mine and it's given me stuff. And he says to himself, I love this little phrase here. Look at verse 19. He says, I'll say to my soul, that's what the ESV has. The word soul could mean life. He's literally talking to his own life. Hey, life, soul, I have everything I need for many years. And there's four imperatives now. Four things he can do. He's going to relax, eat, drink and be merry. The rich man speaks to himself, says to himself, I'll be set up for life. I have everything I need. If only he'd listen to God. Because God says, you're a fool. Fool. This rich man wants security, but he doesn't get it because he ignores God. See, here's the great irony of his situation. He thought he owned possessions. What's actually happened is this. The possessions own him. He is possessed by his possessions. And he cannot see that God is even in the picture. Verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, the rich farmer lives in a way that denies God's there, and that's a fool. If you read the proverbial language or proverbs or any other wisdom language, you're a fool who denies God. He denies he exists, not by his words at this point, but by the way he lives. He lives as if God is not there. Problem is, he lives and he will die. He will die because God gives life and God takes it away. God gave him the land, his brain, his breath, but also God takes all of that away in a moment that God chooses. And all his security and his stuff that he thought he would set up for life for does nothing for him at all. He is not secure at all. He's the most insecure person. The rich man has everything, but without God means he has nothing. Kerry Parker was the richest man in Australia once. I want to ask you, how much money? Does anyone know how much money Kerry Parker had when he died? How much money did Kerry Parker have when he died? It's a trick question. It's a loaded question. Someone got it. Zero. Because when he died, he lost everything, right? He had zero. We are born with nothing and we take nothing with us. And yet we spend our whole lives trying to convince ourselves, like this rich man, that I can do it differently. 
We spend our whole lives speaking to ourselves, soul, I know that I heard that story in the Bible about the rich man, but I can do this differently because I can put my security in stocks and then I'll put some stuff in some medical preparations, perhaps a retirement fund, even a funeral fund. I will do all that and I will map out my life and I'll have a house and land package and do all that stuff and I'll be very secure. Yes, I'm one ear listening to this, so I'm not going to ignore God completely. I'll perhaps be attentive occasionally, but I'll live my life as far as I can do so as if... I'm in control. Why do we convince ourselves of that? Why do we believe that? Well, it's because our hearts are so bent out of shape by sin, isn't it? It's the, it's the great problem in the garden, the fall, is we said, we're in control here. We're going to run this place. How's that been going for us? We can't even manage a virus. Money doesn't stop viruses. Money does not stop sickness. Money does not stop tragedy coming at you from nowhere. Money does not stop relationship breakdown. In fact, often money makes that worse. But God says, don't be foolish. And Jesus now is saying to us, to your anxious, worried heart, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, little flock, performing church. Don't be anxious. Listen to Jesus. Jesus is saying in verse 22, there's no need to be anxious about your life. Look at verse 22. He says to his disciples, his followers, those who are learning Christ, that's us. He's saying, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you'll eat and what you'll drink, all that sort of stuff. Life is, verse 23, more than food and clothing. It really is. If only we'd believe it. Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about your life. Where the rich man spoke to his life, Jesus is speaking to your life, to your soul, and he's saying, don't be anxious about it. Don't be anxious to the point of worrying about it. Things don't last forever. Your body doesn't even last forever. But what do you mean, Jesus? Because I find this really difficult. Because I've got to pay the bills. I've got to look after a church, go to board of management meetings and look at graphs that go decreasing trends. I get anxious. I've got to worry about, am I going to get paid? Can I afford the house, mortgage, two cars? We all get anxious, don't we? I get anxious. But what do you mean, Jesus? Well, Jesus helps us here. He helps me, he helps you. And he says... Firstly, verse 24, consider the ravens. Now, the ravens, I want to put a better Australian translation in, it's actually a crow. Jesus picks the ugly ones, the crows. I've had a lot of interaction with crows. Crows are awful birds. I hope there's no real crow lovers or collectors here that I'm offending, no intention of offence. But if you're going to collect an animal... I don't know anyone collecting crows. Like uh, crows on the farm I grew up on and there's other farmers here too can tell you, if they see a sheep on their side giving birth, they see an opportunity. They go down and they find the best part of that sheep is the eye. They'll pluck the eye out of that sheep while it's alive. I've seen crows then with a sheep that's been stuck in labour actually go, well, I've done the eyes and then they go for the stomach while the sheep's still alive and try and get inside. They're awful birds. 
My dad says he has no sympathy for crows. I don't know anyone that says, yeah, I'm going down to the park to feed the pigeons and the crows. Who does that? No one. But Jesus says, just think of the crows for a minute. Just think of them. God provides for them. We wouldn't. We wouldn't even give them a second thought, but God provides for the crows. And then look at the lilies, the flowers of the field, the flowers in the garden, or even the weeds in the garden. Some weeds are real pretty, aren't they? Some weeds are just the most beautiful thing. Patterson's curse, it's just beautiful. It's terrible. And, and Jesus says, well, God provides for them. Flowers and lilies, they have a short life, yet they're beautiful. He provides for them. And think on this. When it comes to money, why often do we, particularly in this part of the world, why often do we get attracted to money? Because we think it'll make us like lilies of the field. It'll give us beauty. We'll spend on ourselves to improve ourselves. Why is it that we can't consider the crows? Because for some reason we've started to believe God would not care for me. God would not provide for me. And then we start to worry about all sorts of strange things, verse 25. Like in the ESV it actually has, and it might have in your Bibles, in the church Bibles it should have this footnote there at the end of verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It could be translated, it's actually possible this is meant to be translated, who, by worrying, can add a single span to your height. Like if you want to be like the lilies of the field and you want to spend your money on going to the gym, nothing wrong with that, but that's all you spend your money on is yourself. Can you actually spend enough money on yourself to make yourself grow taller, better, bigger, more impressive? Can you actually spend money on yourself to extend your life? Why are you worried about it? There's no need to be anxious anymore, Jesus is saying. There's no need to find security in the wrong places. Verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. People seek security in all the wrong places, don't they? It's not just money, of course. We seek security in all sorts of places. I think sometimes... We seek security in, in perhaps our social media presence or appearance. Like life could be totally losing it in your actual life, on your social media life. You still want to present like life's great. That's often a common thing for most humans as I read and listen to people. A lot of people experience this. We seek security in all the wrong places, but one of them is particularly money. And just step back, Jesus is saying, and look at how the world operates. The nations of people around the world all do this. I've been privileged enough to, I wasn't born in Australia, but privileged enough to, to see different parts of the world and to see really poor parts of the world, like dirt poor. Not, not I go to uni and poor. I mean like I've got no money to get out of this existence of life poor. So last year, there was this trip to India, and I, there's, a, there's a man, I, oh, I was breaking, there's this guy, we're at this tourist site, which I really wasn't particularly interested in, but what I found more 
of my attention was on this, these people and there's this man who's blind and all he has is a sign and he's selling trinkets of the tourist venue and he can't see and so he has to rely upon listening and just walking around hoping that someone's going to buy one of these cheap little trinkets. He wasn't faking it. I could see he's actually blind. He the whites of his eyes. and I, That's poor. But do you know that whether it's here where we're incredibly wealthy per capita, by the way, or whether it's over there or somewhere else, everyone struggles with trying to find security in money. Everyone. My friends in Zambia tell me that over there, it's not just how much you have in the bank, but it's the stuff you have in your house, which is often probably more akin to the ancient Near East, which is what they had wealth in. They didn't have bank accounts necessarily. They have their money stowed somewhere, but it's the stuff they had and the stuff they present to others. And they tell me the poor struggle with this too, of finding security in our stuff, in our wealth. It's a common worldwide heart problem. And we get anxious here. But your father knows that you get anxious and your father cares that you get anxious and your father loves you. And Jesus, the one who knows the love of the father, the son who knows perfect love, comes and says, believe me, believe me, You don't need to be anxious about these things. Consider our food. We, uh, about 10 years ago, went through a 10-year drought. Like I'm looking at a farmer over here and maybe you can give me a number. How long has this one been going on? Uh, Just give me your fingers there if you don't want to. Yeah, three years. Three-year drought currently. Praying that this year it'll end. But we went through a millenn- the millennial drought was 10 years. So in my parents' place, they didn't get much rain at all for 10 years. It was a dust bowl. And yet, every meal we ate. We did not starve. We had helps. We live in a nation that has helps of all sorts of social security helps. And yet, we still get anxious about our security. Consider our clothing. When do, you notice most, when do you notice most of all clothing is unfashionable? It's when you look at your parents' wedding album and you laugh. <laughs> Imagine wearing puff sleeves. I saw recently, I don't know where I saw this, it's coming back. Right? Imagine wearing your hair like that, it's coming back. But we chase it, don't we? We chase the, the fashions of the field. Consider our career and our future. My mum, she was a midwife and nurse, In 1984, she had a superannuation fund valued at a million dollars. When she retired, it was about 300,000. Worked that one out. Couple of crashes in between, money just somehow disappears off the board. It's just gone. Who knows where? It just goes. We spend our life chasing security in something that evaporates. Jesus is saying, fear not, little flock. Jesus is so pastoral here with us, isn't he? Fear not, little flock. If I could have this last few moments saying this to you, Reforming Church, as one of your elders, fear not, little flock. As an example to that, I want to model this in my life. 
So you'll see on the back of the service sheet, this is not a sermon about money or money for us, by the way, but here's an illustration. This is very real. For some reason, we just, we just got a downturn. Uh, the money's going down pretty quick on that graph. And I can feel the temptation to anxiety. Worried about it. What are we going to do? And here's what I want to resolve and pray. I'm not going to fear. Because God watches and he cares and he provides. Look, if I get a job going back wool classing or whatever it is I do, whatever. But God will provide. Jesus' bigger point is though for us here today, for us, Reforming Church, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see, at this point I want to say and use our motto of our church, the gospel does change everything. The gospel changes everything. And here's how it does. Here's how it changes this. You see, if this sermon is about this, if we end this here and say, at this point, 26 minutes in, now, go and be more generous. Let's pray. Where's the power in that? How long will that last? I think for some of us with our legalistic hearts, and you know, with some of us, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, I'm saying just I'm conscious that some of us have more of a bent to legalism. Some of us go, yeah, Russ told me what to do. He told me not to fear. He told me to give more. I'll give more and then I'll be okay. But that won't last beyond Wednesday. There's no power in that. It's not willpower is going to work for you. It's joy power. And here's how. It's actually wrapped up in Jesus' statement where he says, fear not, little flock. How is it possible you can change your aspect, your attitude, your view of money now and, and not see it as something you find security in and chase it therefore to have? How can you now look at money differently? Here's how. If you've had a real experience of grace, if you know what it's like to be given everything, everything money can't buy, if you know that experience of what it is to be given grace, unmeasured, beyond measure and abundance, that'll actually change your attitude to everything else, including money, won't it? We had that Bible verse for our giving section at church. Why do we do that, by the way? We're doing that from now on because we want to remind people, we as regulars of this church, if you're a visitor, you're not obliged to give. If you're a regular here, we give not because we just want to make sure the electricity goes on, which is helpful, but not just because of that. We give not because we give now and then God's going to bless us with something. Not because of that, not at all. We give because God has blessed us with something. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. How rich was Jesus? How rich was the son when he entered into humanity? He's the richest person in the universe. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the psalmist writes. Much more, of course. That though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty on that cross, might become rich. Not money rich, but rich for eternity. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1. Someone once said, I've said it before, there is no richer person than the one who owns everything. And there's no one poorer than the one that hangs up on a cross. 
Jesus, the richest, becomes the poorest so that you, the poorest, might become rich forever. You see what God provides? If you know that, if you know this, what Jesus says, it's the Father's good pleasure, verse 32, to give you the kingdom. Not to, for you to pay for it, not for you to get yourself there by some works or merit. No, no, listen. The word is give. It's the same with grace. It is your Father's pleasure, His joy, His delight to give you everything forever. It is his delight. He laughs and delights and takes joy in giving it to you. It's free to you at cost to the Son. Christ's blood shed for you. The very one who tells this parable, the very one who tells you to fear not, little flock, is the one who in his own anxiety goes up on a hill, prays to the Father, anything but this, anything, anything, Father, and then says, but your will be done, for I will do this, who endures it, the cross, out of joy, so that he can give you everything. Have you had that experience of grace? Do you believe this? Do you know this is true for you? Does it light you up? Does it raise the heart and say, yes, I've been given everything? Luke writes his account. Remember when we started chapter 1? He writes those first four verses that we may have certainty. Yes? The writer Luke wants you to have security, certainty. Jesus wants you to have security in the right place and forever. You see this? Every treasure you could have in life Every treasure you could have in life, money, stuff, status, every treasure you have in life demands you've got to do something to get it. And then it even demands more. Die for it. Like live your life for it. Live and breathe for it. If it's your career, work long hours. The company owns you. Die for it. You want beauty? Die for it. And by the way, as you go through life, your life will wither away and you'll die internally. A thousand cuts, someone has said, as you watch your beauty fade, even as you spend more on it. Die for it. Everything says, I demand, I want you to give your life for this. But it is God who says, I give my life for you. Jesus Christ is the only treasure that dies as a gift for you so that you might live and live forever. If you believe that, you won't fear, little flock. If you believe that, you won't be anxious about money. If you believe that, you won't be possessed by money. Actually, what will money become? If you believe this, what will money just become? Just, what is that? What is that thing there, all those coloured notes? What is that thing in my bank balance? What is it? Oh, it's just money. If you believe this, it just becomes money and therefore you can just give it away. Use it as a tool for what it's purposed for, given to you by God for Treasuring Jesus forever. Do you want security in life? Today you can find it in Jesus. Let's pray we will. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is our prayer. We hear Jesus and we, this little flock, now we do not fear. We're asking that this would be our life, our security in Christ now and forever. We ask in the one whose name is our treasure, 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.